AMC Turn fans, welcome to another episode of the AMC Turn After Show on AfterBuzz TV. Tonight we are talking about Season 3, Episode 5, Hypocrisy, Fraud, and Tyranny. There's a lot going on in tonight's episode, and we have a very special guest. Stay tuned. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, AfterBuzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Hey there, everybody. We are back at our regularly scheduled time, and yes. we have a full panel tonight. Hallelujah. <laughs> 11 p.m. was rough. <laughs> Never again, guys. Never, Never again. again. <laughs> Except when scheduling demands it. No, oh, gosh, no, not again, not again, never again. Let me go ahead and introduce my fantastic panel to my left, Katie Cullen. Hi, my buddies. You can find me on Twitter at Kiaxet. That's K-I-A-X-E-T. We've got the live chat. We've got the hashtag. Do the thing. Win the stuff. Keith Black returning to the studio. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? My name is Keith Black. You can find me all over the internet at Keith W. Black. And our very, very special guest tonight, uh, this is the first time you're here live in person, Samuel Rukin. Hi. A.K.A. Captain Simcoe. That's me. <laughs> How are you doing tonight? I'm great. I'm really excited to be here. We're really excited to have you. Again, thank you so, so much for coming on. And I'm your host, Megan. You guys can follow me on Twitter at the Mengwin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. Did you already say the thing about the hashtag? I did. I didn't say what it was. It's ABTV turn, or if you feel like being cheeky, it's Ranger Danger. <laughs> <laughs> no! It's a, I regret nothing. You know, I'm actually glad that it's a thing. I, I cracked up when I saw Megan tweet it the other night, so I, I I accept it. I like it. I'm all for it. Well, and evidently the going hashtag on Friday was turn for ham, where people took turn screen caps and put Hamilton quotes to them, and I love you guys. <laughs> I absolutely love you guys. Those were alternatively the funniest and most heartbreaking things I saw on Twitter that day. Yeah, if you guys want to entertain yourself for hours and hours, use that hashtag. Turn for ham. It's it beautiful. Is, it is hilarious. So let's go ahead and get into this episode. Um, since we're a little bit more cognizant <laughs> last week. <laughs> are we? Are we really? I would like to think so. But this one, uh, this one, very different from last week. There's a lot less heartache, at least on my end, this time around. Although, Keith, since you weren't here last week, yeah. do you want to give your quick thoughts on last week's episode? I think last week really, you know, propelled us to that pinnacle point that we are for this week's episode. You know, everything kind of came to a, a head in this week's episode, and you got all those rivalries that were kind of just bubbling over for, for the last almost two seasons. And, I, I mean, I was just excited going, okay, now I know where we're going next. I'm just going to wait, put my time in seven days. <laughs> and you'll be in the studio. Everything, everything's going to work out. So I'm really excited to get your perspective on how this show went, particularly for you as you know the actor, but also yeah. as for the character, considering this was your pivotal scene where things came to a head. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of real, as Katie put it earlier, a lot of noises were made uh, while we were watching this episode. I kind of wish we, we did watch together because we... we what kind were, of noises? <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> things like that, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You I gotta specify. I yeah. really do wish we, we would watch together because I love watching other people's reactions when things like that happen. Mm. A lot of good stuff. You were laughing at me. I was. I a was. Lot. It was hysterical. Those last five minutes just about killed me, and she's laughing. Like, <laughs> do you not understand that there's a small child here? That... Well, no? Okay. Do we want to go ahead and start with that particular with that particular plot line? Because there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in terms of uh, the the like kind of macro scale of the war going in. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of plot points that came in from season two that kind of got integrated that 
while we were watching season two, I'm like, I'm not sure where they're going with this. And then, sure enough, they came to a head here. So, let's go ahead. Let's let's start talking about our opening scene with John Andre uh, freeing this counterfeiter and this whole sort of counterfeit plot. Because we've we've gotten this in several episodes now. Was the idea that the Continental Army can't afford more of a campaign because of the inflation rate. They've had to keep printing money in order to sustain. That has driven inflation rates up, so they're not really going to be able to afford another campaign. That information has now landed in John Andre's lap, and he's fully taking advantage of it. And their whole plan this time around is to flood uh, the market with this continental currency in order to drive down the value of money in order to make the war unsustainable from a financial standpoint. And watching this, I'm like, this is a very John Andre type of plan. It's very manipulative. It's thinking about the bigger picture. And at the same time, it's something that will cripple everybody without any actual technical bloodshed. But at the same yeah. time, except when people died. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> it's war. Yeah. Things like that happen. And the plan didn't go. According to plan. According to plan. Exactly. But like we said earlier, there's never a plan B. Like, everybody (laughs) always has one, they're like, this is what we're doing, and it's going to work, otherwise we're just total screwed, and repeatedly. It'd be far less dramatic if there was a plan B. But you just maybe like a hint, you know, like, maybe maybe there is, they just haven't talked about it yet. That's true. And then See? it's too late. And then everything unfolds, and they're like, oh, we, we didn't even need that we plan We should have B. had a plan B. <laughs> oh, it's funny you said that. We did. I just didn't tell you. Yeah, see? Yeah, yeah I'm just not in the loop. Yeah. That's the typical George Washington stance. I'm just, I, there's a plan B, if you just we don't know about it. that scene, it'd be something like that. Yeah. That's it wouldn't make the cut. <laughs> exactly. But some people think that making a plan B is planning for failure. I disagree, but <laughs> that is how a lot of people live their lives. So, But you think people like John Andre and George Washington, or at least how they're presented in these shows, would be the type of people to not only have a plan B, but a plan C and a plan D, uh, just for when things inevitably go wrong. Yeah. They're not Xanatos. <laughs> they should be. Everyone should be Xanatos. <laughs> no, that's not how life works. <laughs> that's not how most television shows work. But I really appreciated this plan because it's something that we've been dealing with since season two. Uh, financing the war has been a big problem for Britain, and to see it on the flip side for the Continental Army is something really interesting to see. And the toll it takes on people's personal relationships yeah. as well. Like, it's this inability to finance a campaign that is at the crux of Benedict Arnold's dissension. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting how to see how these larger economic factors really do tie into things that really did turn the tide of the war. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that John Andre in himself, I, don't, I couldn't personally do that role, but considering I like the idea of the cunning and how he is just a master manipulator, he doesn't, he's not a brute. So Benedict Arnold is known as the fighter. He, everything, he does everything on the battlefield, whereas John Andre does everything mentally. He, he attacks and he can totally wipe out an entire army just with his pen or some slight manipulation, which is really drastic considering your character as well. I mean, you, John Andre's whole purpose is the war, even at the cost of his own love life, whereas it feels like your character's purpose is more vengeance and vendetta-driven than really ne- the necess- necessity of the war. Like, he's got a lot of... <laughs> I, I frame it slightly differently. Yeah? Because I think that um, I think that he, you know, he really believes in, um, in the potential uh, of the colonies, yeah. you know? And... Um, and I think he, he's just distracted easily. 
He's a distracted. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't think his MO is, you know, who who can I have a problem with today? Yeah. No, yeah, I don't think he's picking fights. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Easily distracted by the Easily terrifyingly distracted. Historically, it would seem that your point is valid. Yeah. You know, but I, I don't, I think his motives are wholesome. <laughs> he seems like a wholesome guy. That's yeah. like my immediate inclination. Yeah. I'm like, this guy's nice. Yeah, he's just operating on a different moral code yeah. to the rest of humanity. I mean, so far an effective one. Sure. Considering. You know, it is kind of funny because he is this character that kind of actually does seem to be a mix of Benedict Arnold and John Andre because there's a lot of calculating aspects uh, about the way he goes about, he plans things and he, he very... We, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Simcoe's almost too smart for his own good. He's too smart by half. A lot, of, a lot of times he's on the right track, but jumps to the wrong conclusion and acts without kind of uh, taking the time to assess whether or not the information he's got is correct. Yeah, it's a very smart analysis, that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's really cool to see the flip of... Um, I'm in control, and I'm having this conversation right now. We're just we're just having a friendly conversation where I'm in control. To to see that switch flip to go to uh, to the more ferocious side of him, uh, and we see that in this final scene where he's talking to Richard, and then the second Abraham comes in and mentions Robert Rogers, boom! <laughs> like there it is. So I want I want to know which side do you prefer playing? Do you like playing Simcoe when he thinks he's in control, or do you like playing that more ferocious side? Um, well, when when we do the ferocious stuff, uh, and by that I mean the violence, uh, <laughs> I almost inevitably hurt myself. Oh uh, my! As an actor. Yeah, like you know, something always happens. You know, like I took a chunk out of my finger. Which you can see that little dark patch there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's from when you know when I was. Uh, Smashing the guy in the face with the gun. Yeah. Couple of episodes. <laughs> of course, yeah. That was like that was like one of my first days filming <laughs> this season. I was like, oh, come on, day one. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, in in the Rogers fight, um, yeah. where we get blasted back, um, you know, I took the weight of the guy <laughs> yeah. on my thumb, like this, oh, no. and then basically, oh. you know, stretched all. The, you know, it's like <sighs> you know. So I can't say that I enjoy. Because I'm always like, something's going to happen today, <laughs> you know. But what what interests me as an actor is, um, you know, is the moment it, the moment that words stop working, yeah. you know. So for me, it's you know, there's there's what I what I love about Simcoe, what I think is, you know, um, despite his actions being kind of off the scale of acceptable, often, you know, he <laughs> that's a is, real good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, we all know who he is, but you know, it's, it's, uh, but he's decisive, you know, and um, he responds to situations uh, immediately and um, and doesn't think twice about it. And and of course, that can be to his detriment, but it has kept him alive. And um, and what interests me psychologically is is when it when that moment happens, when that shift happens. So that that's the the curious uh, and movable bit for me as an actor. Um, but um, I, I know I'm generally not going to get um, get hurt when we're just talking. <laughs> um, but when we do something violent, I just assume it's going to happen. <laughs> no matter how safely and how much we rehearse it, something weird always happens and I end up 
with a bruise the next day. <laughs> now, that's, that's something that Megan mentioned was that this season, it sounds like you guys are getting a lot more rehearsal time, where it sounded like in season one and season two, there wasn't a whole lot of time to prep before you guys actually started shooting. Well, you know, uh, one of the great things about this cast is that they are... Um, every, everybody uh, wants to arrive on set ready and with as much... Um, firepower as possible and so out of work we're getting together and going over stuff and and coming up with ideas so that we hit the ground running you know that doesn't happen on every job you know but like people you know will go around to each other's houses and 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 you know and talk about the scenes and you know run it a bit and run lines together and uh when we can and and um and so yeah i mean the I, i don't feel like we're getting necessarily more rehearsal you know on the job but the, the the will is there all the time, and so whenever we can grab a moment, um, no one ever says no to a rehearsal. And it's often dependent on the director too. You know, the director. You know, each director mm-hmm. works differently. Some directors like it to be kind of just yeah, well, fresh on the day. You know, yeah. so. But I mean, a bit of rehearsal always helps. Yeah, I can imagine so, especially for those more intense moments. <laughs> I just I it's I find it really entertaining that you're able to go into a situation with all of these people that otherwise you would never have met, and then you're at what we're three seasons in. You yeah. guys have spent years together, and at this point you're you're hanging in each other's houses. You're taking it upon yourself to actually oh we want to rehearse because we want to make this scene as good as it could possibly be for us, not necessarily just the show, but right because we want to be the best we can be. And I think that it's surprising because you flick through AMC and you guys don't get as much publicity, but your show is incredible. And like the way you guys handle a period piece. What other networks have completely flopped on, and it's one of the most difficult things to handle as a period piece because you're balancing the creative aspect of these writers along with, okay, we have to follow some outline of what actually happened, otherwise people will tune out. So it's you guys taking that extra step to ensure that that's portrayed on the screen. It's, it's incredible. And that's why I think the show really stands out. I don't think a lot of actors really take that extra step upon well, themselves. Well, that's a great compliment. Yeah. Thank you. You know, um, but at the, at the end of the day, it starts with great writing. And mm-hmm. that, that is really what powers everything. And if the writing's good, you know, it brings um, creative minds that want to make it real and make yeah. it as authentic as possible. And, and we also have, like, an incredible crew <laughs> of, like, prop masters, yeah. you know, who are, like, antiquing every weekend. And, like, <laughs> you know, the scenic design people who, like, you know, find these incredible locations. And, you know, like, the great thing about doing a show uh, with that kind of support around you is that you walk into a room and you really don't feel like you're in 2016. Yeah. You know, and you put these amazing clothes on and then you're one step closer. And if you've had a bit of rehearsal and you've worked out the dynamics of what you're doing, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's not that hard yeah. because it's, you know, you, you it feels natural. Nice, you're in the environment. Yeah. 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 That's the beautiful thing. Fully immersed. It yeah. takes the improv kind of out of it when you're walking around and you're like, Oh, there's my house. Yeah. <laughs> this is great, my living room. Yeah. And the great thing about those that when we get to rehearse the, you know, the fights and whatever. So like when, when me and Angus, uh, got in a, in the studio and started rolling around on the floor <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon, <laughs> um, uh, which we would have done by choice. Yeah. Uh, it just so happened that we called it work. Um, and um, but we were in there uh, rehearse, rehearsing with the fight director and the and the stunt guys. And they they come with an idea. They come with a, they've rehearsed something to show us as actors, and then we get to uh, learn how to do it. Uh, but that really is a, a bouncing off point for us. Yeah. So without that rehearsal, 
we wouldn't have got to what we got to um, on the day and what ended up on the screen. We, we, we went into that rehearsal, there was a set idea of what the fight would be, and then Angus and I enhanced it more and made it our own and infused yeah. our characters into it and that's when you get like the little nicks and, the, <laughs> yeah. and you know and um it's you know it's a lot of collaboration that's one of been the great things about this this job actually is there's been a, a really hefty amount of collaboration it's fun what do you think is your favorite thing that you've gotten like to put input on that you feel like because of the collaborative nature that you were able to enhance something What's been your favorite? Well, I think right at the beginning, when we did the pilot, um, you know, I sat in a room with um, Craig Silverstein, um, the creator and showrunner, and um, and Rupert Wyatt, who was directing mm -hmm. uh, the pilot, and we all had a chat about what who Simcoe would what he would be, you know, and um, it was it was one of my favorite pre-production meetings I've ever had because they said yes to everything, <laughs> <laughs> and on the whole, on the whole. Uh, as an actor, one often gives ideas and they're like, that's really great. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a thought. You know, and especially with this character, you know, we, I, you know, I was offering some pretty out there ideas in terms of, you know, the, the tone of him and the sort of, you know, the, just his energy and whatever. And, and, um, and really throughout that pilot, I kept thinking that someone was going to come up to me and say, yes, yeah, sir. It's too much. <laughs> if you, uh, yeah, you know, no, no, I know you're having fun and everything, but you know, <laughs> you know, but really, like they, they would, the producers would walk towards me. I'd be like, I'd be like in my head, I'd be like, here we go, you know? and uh, and then they go, they go, and then they, they go and talk to someone else, and you know, and it's been, you know, and it's really been like that all along. And the great thing was that, you know, the pilot script really was um, pretty sparse. Uh, what I mean by that is that it wasn't. Um, heavily indicating what Simcoe should be like. Yeah. So it, was, it really was a blank canvas. And then when we got into the, when you know, obviously there was a big break between the pilot and then shooting the rest of season one. And in that time, they'd sort of taken the character that I brought to the table and then started writing for that, that character. Way. And that was really exciting to, it really felt like we'd done something together. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's been the most fun, really. And then all along the way, though, you know, you know, because we've lived with these people uh, always longer than the directors because they, you know, the directors, there's different directors for each episode, right? So they come in and actually they're, they're, they're the visitor, really. Yeah. So they're relying on you to have ideas and, and, and come to the table with something. So um, it's a great experience on, this, on, a, on a show like this because we, we do get, to, um, we do get to, to feed into what happens all the time. And you're, I think from also just a character standpoint, you're, you're actually pretty lucky because Simcoe is the type of person that travels around and actually gets to interact with all these different groups. And in a show where everyone stays pretty segmented, yeah. that's a very unique position to be, play, uh, to be able to play off of so many of your different cast members when not all of them get that opportunity. But well, he keeps getting kicked out of everywhere. Doesn't he? You know, he's, he's always getting in trouble. So, um, so no one will have him for very long. That's, uh, that's also yeah. true. No, but it is great, and um, you know, it was really, really exciting too to have like a complete image transformation. You know, that the the white wig yeah. and the red coat. You know, so um, so specific, and then to to have to move into the Rangers thing where it's like a whole different. Um, Aesthetic? Is the word I was searching for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
We should do like a game where you just sort of guess my next <laughs> one. And occasionally good for yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, you know, and that was really cool. And um, uh, But, yeah, I've wor- managed to work with uh, most of the regulars on the show in one way or another. Yeah. You know, even if it's being beaten up by them or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, you've gotten the opportunity to interact with a lot of people where a lot of times we get actors who, you know, they spend an entire season and not once do they ever have a scene together. Poor Richard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Poor Woodhull. George Woodhull. Stuck in that house. Stuck in that house. Imagine what it was like when he was in bed for a season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh man! You stay there. We'll yeah. get back well, to you. Even even this episode, I was I was like, how? What was the last time Simcoe and Richard actually had a face to face conversation? Mm. Because most of the time, when Simcoe <clears throat> was at uh, Whitehall, he he was usually talking to Hewlett and or yeah. making threats somewhere <laughs> in, in Satoket. Yeah, or it's public and exactly. they don't necessarily interact. You know, yeah. but yeah, they, it, it it felt like um it felt like a new. Thing it felt like something we'd not done before. No, it was exciting. Yeah. So yeah, to have this scene not all, right after he came into town, where he basically lays claim to Richard's office right after Richard was trying. We don't know what the note is at first, but then later on, we that that scene at the very end when he's playing with Thomas and he has the note. <laughs> you want to know when I started making noises? That was it. That was yeah. it. <laughs> That was it. <laughs> that was that was a really genuinely chilling thing because you never. It's the same thing with Robert Rogers. You, and actually, Turnland put a, a poll up of who would make a better babysitter, uh, what? Robert what? Rogers what? or Simcoe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so feel free to go and uh, check out their well, who's Twitter winning? page. I want to know. I don't know that. I would have to go. You keep both. talking. I'll find okay. it. Okay. Let's find out. <laughs> but um, it was genuinely chilling because both of those characters, you never know how far they're willing to go to accomplish their goals or at what point they're going to snap because Robert Rogers has done things that has surprised us in the past and so has Simcoe and you feel like either one of them is just a powder keg waiting to go off so that again genuinely chilling scene yeah he he knows he knows that uh, what are the results with with 13 hours left in the poll so this can still change Uh, 77 to 23 percent they'd leave the kid with Rogers. They would? <laughs> yes! Well, I'm, I'm shocked and upset. You don't have time for that, though. You, yeah. you can't be watching the, the kid while you're, you're out trying to, you know. Mind you, you know, Rogers would, would get them well fed, wouldn't he? Yeah. yeah. yeah he's yeah. a good forager. <laughs> yeah. Live off in the woods together, but, raise his children. But if Simcoe was in charge, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd be turned out really nicely, nice clothes. You know, they would be proper. Would be, they'd be very clean. I guess I guess it's the difference between um, like uh, a very strict dad versus the fun uh, eccentric uncle. Because Robert Rogers strikes me as more of like that uncle that's going to get you into trouble. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he'll get tired quickly, won't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, there's that depth perception thing. thing. Yeah, now there's a whole depth perception thing <laughs> that he has to work with. That and if he if you start to annoy him, he'll just lock you in the basement. He's yeah, like, yeah, I don't. I don't that want is to deal good parenting. Yeah. <laughs> you stay so. down there, and I'll come back later. Which I think that's an interesting point as well. Is like in numerous points in the show, he could have killed Abe, and instead, I mean, numerous times he could have killed Abe, but he always continues to lock him up or knock him out or just put him to do him <laughs> in some manner. It's like he's almost his pet to the point where you intrigue me. I want to. I'm going to keep you around. You know, I like you. 
but he's of no use to he's really to no use to besides that like you know subtle tie to the ring where he just stops by extracts information and then goes about his way you know he's just kind of like the tap well he needs abe to get to andre because that's still his end goal but <laughs> now he has information that has made abe irrelevant he doesn't need abe anymore and he chose not to kill him anyway that's true yeah no just like well, i think basement. they've grown to like each yeah. other a bit haven't they I mean, he did risk his life to save <clears throat> Abe's friend, and that's not something that I feel like season one Robert Rogers would have done. No. But again, season one Robert Rogers had the Rangers behind him, had a very different structure set up, and right now he is very much on the outs from it's, everything. He's, he's alone. He doesn't really have a whole lot of friends that he can fall back on. I think that the, his aspect of friendship and security back then, you've got, you're in war times, and if my friend came at me, or friend, what if it came at me with a rock to the back yeah. of my head, I, it'd be more of like a, whoa, like, what are you doing? That would bother you. Yeah, it would bother I wouldn't just, like, lock him down somewhere and be like, come on, man, cool out. Like, that was a, that was a death attempt. Like, back of the head rock. I, I mean, I don't want to be in a friendship like that, I feel but, like. I mean, He's Robert Rogers. This guy is a seasoned killer. So to him, that's probably like a toddler running up and like going, "Hey." Yeah, it's just it's just a casual, polite. He's like, "Ah, oh, it's just roughhousing." <laughs> yeah. Boys will be boys. So Keith, who Keith really? isn't known for scalping. So no. that, that works against you. Yeah, yeah, that that was a little. <laughs> but um, but we do have also this kind of plot line with uh, while we're in Satoka, we also have this kind of plot line with Mary where uh, we, we get to see a little bit more of her taking the front stage with her learning how to fire a gun, yeah. which is really cool. And at one point, she actually shoots the scarecrow in the head. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder, maybe this is getting too much into predictions territory, but I can't help but wonder if that's not kind of heavy foreshadowing. And I'm oh, going to yeah. try, <laughs> try not to look. But, um, but with uh, especially with... So much of season one focused on the build-up to Abe taking someone's life in the form of Ensign Baker. And now that Mary is becoming a lot more proactive, being, as we mentioned a lot last week, top spy in our book, uh, I can't help but wonder at what point is she going to have to make that sort of decision as well. She is killing a man before the end of the season. I am calling it now. <laughs> I, yeah, no, she, I think that's She is going to kill a man. <laughs> But I don't know who I don't know who it's gonna be, but someone is going down, and Mary's gonna be on the other end of it, and it will probably be saving Abe's dumbass. Let's be real. <laughs> I probably. I feel like it's a huge bonding moment for the two of them, though. This is the first scenario where I feel like you can really see a sense of romance between the two of them over yeah. their spiring. I mean, they're flirting. They're clearly <laughs> yeah. flirting while like, target during target practice, which is a crucial skill to know back then, considering anybody could arrive to your home, you know, take your office. It's just a, a scenario that you, you just need to know how to protect yeah, yourself. If only there was a piece of paper that allowed people the right to bear arms. <laughs> but I also found it interesting because she also said when they thought somebody was coming up, they hid the rifle or they hid the musket down. And it's like, they oh. They just it, dropped it in yeah. the grass. <laughs> it's right there. It's, it's that whole aspect of their firing. It's how open and willing people are to fire, you know, to go off into the woods. And you've got Benjamin shooting off his, his musket. Everybody's. Everyone's battling constantly, but when you see somebody coming up on your own, it's still that fear of, oh, no, we've got to put down our weapons. But everybody has them, like, except yeah. for even Richard was able to keep his, which, you know, Simcoe, I'm not going to allow that, just immediately picks Comment up the here, rifle. Yeah. yeah. 
I just found it incredibly interesting. But they are farmers. I mean, you know, they could they could legitimately be shooting. Yeah, uh, you can. Pests. Yeah, we've got vermin. Yeah, <laughs> that's constantly the excuse. Yeah. But uh, this what what her storyline kind of moved over towards. First of all, was obviously relinquishing uh, custody of Thomas for the time being, which I hope doesn't last for too long because. Yeah, no. Heartbreaking, that whole thing. wasn't it? Yeah. That was that whole scene was just it was very difficult to watch. I feel like that's going to wind up being Judge Woodhull's decision is do I want him in the house when I also have Simcoe in the house? And Simcoe has shown that he's willing to use Thomas's leverage. Like do I want him back with my son the traitor, or do I want to keep him here with the guy who's willing to use him against me? <laughs> Not a good situation. I was really yeah. glad to see that storyline come in. Oh with, yeah. With the yeah. with when I read the script with with Thomas because historically, you know, as you say, you know, Abe is starting to see that Mary is actually quite an attractive yeah. mate. You know, <laughs> but like, <clears throat> but prior to that, um, the most precious thing in his life, if and and really the only thing, you know, aside from Anna, which was you know you know, in the shadows, but like the thing that he really cared about above anything else was his kid. Mm -hmm. And so to see, uh, to see Thomas threatened, um, I feel is, is really getting to the heart of, um, of how dangerous what they're doing is. And so for me, it's, it's, you know, that's a storyline I've been waiting to see is to see the, the, the kid's life in danger, you know. Not that I want kids' lives to be in danger. But for um you know, for dramatic purposes, like it feels like that it was always gonna have to go there, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well and what's interesting too, if we're if we're kind of focusing on Thomas right now, is that nobody really has the moral high ground when it comes to his well being because even his own parents have been using him as leverage. That's right. Yeah. Everyone is using him everybody who can pick him up will be using <laughs> him as leverage. And so it's it's very interesting to to vilify somebody so much when they're like, Oh, I'm using him as leverage at this point when that's exactly what Richard was doing to Mary earlier. It was, give me Thomas or I'm going to rat out Abe. He's, so it's it's kind on the one hand, it's terrible, but on the other hand, it's nice to see the tables turned in the other direction as well. I feel like there's a difference, though, because he... Well, he yeah, wants, obviously yeah. Richard's not going to hurt the kid. There, That's the difference. <laughs> but again, there's still some moral ambiguity there. Yes. Because everybody in this scenario thinks that they're fighting for the right thing. Everyone mm. is wrong but some people are more wrong than others. (laughs) Nobody wins. I feel like some people are right. Like, I feel like just considering where we are are sitting today, I'm going to back. I I innately feel like I have to back a few of these guys. (laughs) Like, Abraham's going to be my guy. He's the protagonist. We have to root for him. No offense. Not necessarily. No, No, I'm rooting for Mary. I want Abe to survive because Mary would be well, sad otherwise. And like probably, this is where... probably the best thing to come out of this this whole plot line uh, between the whole Thomas thing and Robert Rogers coming back and locking them in is that Abe has decided he's he's done keeping secrets from her, which has been which is one of my absolute least favorite tropes. Is and I've talked about this before. I hate when characters are like, I have to keep the truth from somebody to protect them. I love and that I'm... you went full anime for that. <laughs> I, do, I was just thinking 
being dramatic. No, no that was full anime. <laughs> but um, but I, I really hate that particular trope. So I'm really glad to see that after two and a half seasons, we're done with it, at least when right. it comes to him and her. So I'm very, very glad to see us moving on from that. Well, the strengthening of their relationship just in itself, that's how, I mean, he was irrational. He was losing it. He was hunting for his pistol. And then she calms him down to the point where they're able to hatch a plan. It's almost to the point where she is a good counterbalance for him, where he knows how the ring operates and the coup the contacts are, but she's coming at it from an outside perspective, and she really knows the colonies and knows the British way of life. So I think for her, although Abe does know that, she's so finely ingrained and she believes in it that it allows her to be an asset to heaven. So it's like he's having this inside trader <laughs> as a partner, which is perfect. Yeah, and I, th- I, li- I like that he's learning. You know, yeah. He's learned that if he, if he tries to keep her away, A, it's miserable, <laughs> uh, and B, it's, it actually threatens the secrecy and, and success of the ring. And mm-hmm. he's learned that actually you need, he needs to bring her in to, and now he's finding out that actually she's incredibly useful. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas he thought originally, from the way I saw it, is that he's he thought, well, I'll bring her in so that I secure, I keep the ring sealed. Yeah, I'll get you know? found out. Um, and now, now he's finding uh, uses in in her that he never knew existed. Hopefully, not to the same way that John Andre oh, <laughs> uses his, his ladies. We're not talking <laughs> about piece. that. Yeah. I will She was the one making noises last week. Oh, and they were sounds of utter misery and heartbreak. Um, (laughs) Anyway, but um, I I love the bit with them actually coming together, and I kind of wish that they had shown how they got out of the cellar, but it is a really good piece of, like, visual storytelling to see Abe trying to break down the door, and it's with Mary's help that he's able to, to, instead of trying to brute force his way theoretically figure out a way to get like the door off of its hinges or something like that but I I all out the other side with a spoon I kind of like I said I appreciated that bit of visual storytelling where on he's on his own he's not strong enough to make it through so I appreciated that um I do want to kind of move on from what we have here in Setauket over to uh Washington's camp because speaking of characters who don't get to interact with each other very often we have a scene where Heather finally got to act with Ian. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and it's so funny because without context, you're not quite sure how to read Washington's introduction to her because he's very respectful, but when she implores him to let her help more, that she's she's in this fight for the long haul, he's not sure how to respond. And as an audience, we're not sure how to take that until we get the full context of why he's acting the way he is, and that's the story that Ben fed him in order to protect Anna, which is that she was going, she wasn't going to run away with a British officer like her original plan, but that it was the shame of adultery or the whispers of adultery that she didn't want to compromise the ring, and I, I just really appreciated because again, without without context, there's so much subtlety between their interactions, yeah. and then once you get that, you're like, oh, that's why. He was like, I don't know what to do with you here. Go, go behind the tent. <laughs> he was the perfect statesman, wasn't he? In that scene, you know. A lot of, yeah. a lot of very polite diplomacy, and um, and so yeah, it's really, it's really cool to see that, and you get a lot of really good stuff from Ben too, who has gone through this very traumatic experience in the last episode, and he's he's now carrying that weight with him. 
and his childhood friends don't really know that that is his context that he's bringing to this yeah. as well. I mean, I think it's 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 brave in this way because I think that by him, I don't believe he shared anything of the incident with anybody, even even George Washington. So you're at that point where he's had this huge experience where not only did he meet a woman who, under the orders of George, they were forced to kill her husband, steal, and get the food to survive, but he's also been wounded himself, and he's gone, th- and he knows who did it. And so for him, and even to be calm in the situation when they are raiding the counterfeit money, to be calm in that situation knowing that had I just been shot, <laughs> I, I, I think it's going to be really hard for me to just be like, okay, now let's hold off, let's be rational about this whole situation. Even I mean, when he it seemed is to war. have recovered okay. Yeah. Yeah. He seemed fine, yeah. He's yeah. fine. Pilates and the suit. A little twinge. We're walking yeah. okay, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so I just think, I think for him it was a, it, it's a huge moment and a huge burden for him that I think ultimately will be revealed the next in the coming episodes as to why he's been keeping that to himself and how that reflects how he is as an officer as well as a friend to everybody around him. And now Anna, who's in camp. Yeah, I, I think what it is, it's just a constant reminder of the big picture. And that's the burden that he's shouldering because he knows that had they not taken the, the, the measures that they took, they all would have starved. And, you know, that they would have probably lost the war if that had been the case. But that doesn't alleviate the guilt of the personal, you know, the interpersonal loss that comes with those sacrifices. Yeah. So it's it's kind of carrying that, and it's that kind of notion of the bigger picture where he does decide to bring Anna in because she does have a particular insight. And this is what I was talking about with a plot line from season two coming in. We were talking about the privateers yes. last week um, and how there was a scene cut... Uh, with Mary potentially falling in love with a privateer and that ended up not working out, uh, probably for the better. Yeah. And um, But instead, we do have Anna's contact with privateers come back into play here. And I really loved seeing that come back because I absolutely hate when plot lines don't, like, go anywhere. Yeah. So it was it was really cool to see like the the seed planted and then in season three be like, oh, see, it came <laughs> back, guys. They did things, and it was lovely. I I honestly think my favorite bit of just Anna in the camp and talking, just, wow, if I could <laughs> words, life would be great. You're talking about the tent, right? I'm talking about the tent. <laughs> <laughs> just the comment about even within the camp, the ring isn't safe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, we actually had a, a comment on Twitter. Hold on, let me see if I can find it i got to get back into the hashtag. Pardon me. But we had, um, somebody was asking about what our, our all general thoughts were regarding, uh, let's do, 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 regarding this scene with Anna. Um, do, do, do. Yeah, um, Rose on Twitter asks, a question for ABTV Turn, how do you guys feel about Anna's treatment by Washington and Ben at the camp? And as Heather put it, uh, Caleb's mansplaining. <laughs> That is probably the best term for it. And I think one of the things we need to keep in mind is that women make such great spies in this era because they are essentially invisible to men. They are seen as lesser. They are seen as homemakers or at just they're seen as less capable. And so it makes it really good for moving under the radar. And it really sucks when they want to be respected for their contributions. I think in this episode, though, two women were respected for their contributions. Mary, as well as Anna, 
both in this episode got to a point where their counterparts respected them. Like, she's respected by Ben in the ring now, and as is Mary by Abe in their aspect of the ring. So I think it's cool that we're finally getting to see, like, the respect for these women and their skills come to fruition throughout, you know, three seasons of everyone constantly telling them, you don't know what you're talking about, you can't really help, just let me do this. So it's nice to see their, I mean, they're, they've been, Anna's been growing as a character for three seasons. Now it's the point where, okay, what can she do? Let you're up to the plate now. You're at the majors. Let's do this. So I, I'm, I personally really enjoy seeing her growth over the course of the yeah, show. I particularly like seeing uh, the the conflict between uh, the structure of the world that they're living in. Yeah. You know, and the authenticity of that coming th- coming through. You know, and what you said about uh, women at the time is absolutely right. Um, and so really what's happening in the camp, as um, uh, as uh, Talmadge says, is, you know, this isn't, this isn't personal. Don't take this personally. This is, this is how it works. This is yeah. how this camp works. This is how the, the military hierarchy works. And we've got you out of that, but we can't, get, we can't change <laughs> things here. Um, but the nature of the ring means that when they run out of ideas... You know they're not afraid to to lean on mm-hmm. the skills um, that Anna Strong has. So um, I really I really love the the wrestle with the world that they find themselves in versus you know the individual uh, pursuits that they're they're after. Yeah. I think it's written really beautifully the way that you know the way that that developed and you know seeing um, seeing Ben. Uh, incapable of expressing why he's so pent up right now and why he's so angry you know it's all it's all being deflected elsewhere you know and and everybody's got their own (laughs) personal problems um and bringing that trying to bring that into uh, a shared goal is really cool yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) one has drama Yeah. yeah But I mean, naturally, I think everybody has a good, uh, damn good reason to be stressed out, considering their given situation for every <laughs> yeah. character. They've got something going on that's but I think, life or death. I think that's the great thing about this season, actually, is is it's really a season of consequences. Yeah. You know, you start seeing, like you said, like you, you were talking about the things that were plotted, you know, in season one and season two, and finally coming to uh, fruition in season three. And obviously, there's there's a, a device to that, you know, in yeah. terms of the writing. But at the same time. Um, it's it's just a clear consequence of action, you know, and 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 action in war. And I feel like what makes this season land so hard um, for me is that you're seeing all these massive consequences to choices that people are making. And the further the war goes on, the harder it is for it to be sustained by both sides the more scrappy it gets, you know? And that's why, and it's happening all over the place, you know, for Washington, uh, to Benedict Arnold, to to John. I mean, how much has John Andre transformed from that first season? You know, JJ does such an incredible job with him. And I I feel like, you know, he's a shadow of the man he (laughs) was, you know? 
Yeah, no, he, uh, at the end of season two, his his rush to try to win the war made him sloppy, and now he's dealing with the consequences yeah. of that, uh, and having to deal with the fallout and uh, other things. I don't want to talk about He's in the <laughs> ugly stages of heartbreak right now. <laughs> really ugly. Really ugly stages really ugly. of heartbreak. He's listening like, to mm. some really sad songs. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that were all it was. <laughs> Can you wear your hair like my ex-girlfriend? Oh, no. That'd be that great. Yeah, but not in a weird way <laughs> no, no it's a weird way here's a picture of her please look like her it's just i know really we used to date but <laughs> okay i don't think there's anything wrong with that and she and she says she says fine as long as you pay for it yeah see that's a, you've that's a mutually beneficial agreement she gets a new hairdo and he gets what he wants poor <laughs> he gets Philomena. a new do. oh poor philomena what, it's not, <laughs> boy am i glad i'm on this side of the table <laughs> Just slowly, just but like no. Nope. There's no slowly about this. Well, I thought it should have been boy girl, boy girl, but I didn't have yeah. a choice in the seating tonight. <laughs> well, this is where I always sit. That's yeah. true. The rest was up to you guys. We just kind of shifted over. <laughs> um, but uh, with talking about the consequences. It's something really that I appreciate because a show where there are never any consequences to the actions that people take, there's no stake in it. Then yeah. the you know you watch every every week and there's no sense of suspense. There's there's no sense of real drama. Everything feels artificial. So the fact that people make a choice in season one or season two, and it comes back to bite them in season three. Those are things that I really enjoy seeing because it puts me on the edge of my seat when somebody makes a drastic choice now. Yeah. Because we know that there are going to be consequences. People's hearts are going to get broken. People get killed. Uh, yeah, when second. you hesitate yeah, exactly. in, this, in this world, bad yeah, things happen. Yeah. You know, so, and you might, you might be right. Better, better to be strong and wrong. Well, even Anna being in Nathaniel Sackett's tent, I mean, that is a consequence uh, from Ben, you know, again, from General Washington's hesitation and from misinformation. And a very valuable resource and a good person was lost because of that. And now Anna is staying in a place that is a constant reminder to Ben and Caleb and Washington really of like, their personal failure. It really felt like Ben won that debate, <laughs> you know, at the end of that. <laughs> oh, he like, had that in his hip pocket. For the, he was just waiting for it to finish. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Trump card, boom, <laughs> I'm so, out. You know this tent where you're staying? Someone died here. Yeah, he was a man. <laughs> <laughs> Point one, mic drop, gotta go. Such a brilliant (laughs) scene. It was a very good point. It it doesn't really excuse him making up the story he did and then not telling Anna about it. It doesn't excuse the mansplaining. (laughs) It doesn't excuse a lot of his actions, but that doesn't make it any less of a very good point. But like you said, any mistakes are also, you know, highly frowned upon. It's not, you know, there's no second chances. Even the fact that they got Washington information about the counterfeit bills... But to him, this is too late. So it was already a failure, even though they retreat. The ring worked, but it just didn't work fast enough, and that in itself is a failure. So it goes to show that it's not just the action itself, but it's the timing of those actions. And if it's not an instant, instantly made decision like Simcoe's, you know, that's your whole motto is I've got this is what I'm doing. I've decided on it, and I'm right. This is how, it, and it's going to go the way that I think it's going to go. And I'm going to do everything in my power, even pull a man's body in front of a blast. Like in that, it's you need that to survive in this time. Well, and it's really cool seeing those limitations uh, because, again, this was a time period where 
transportation was so, so slow moving that trying to move information fast enough yeah. to make any real headway in, you know, in terms of the, the information that you have for warfare. I like I I remember watching season two, seeing Abe get all this information. I'm like, is that going to get to anybody in in enough time to actually even matter? Or season one, when you see all those papers on Washington's desk before he's before he's introduced, it's like, ugh, man, it it kind of feels like how on earth are they actually ever going to make a difference given all the limitations that they have? And it's really cool seeing the different tools that they have at their disposal to get information mm-hmm. across. I, I don't know. It's I, personally, I think it's fun. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it, the will, it it's the willingness to try too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they also know that Washington's probably right. Oh, yeah. The fact that they give it a go. Yeah. Yeah. You the, know, the, is why they were successful. The fact it's that good. they're willing to put up this fight at all. Yeah. yeah. No, really good stuff. What's, what's their job? Well, they succeeded in what one out of twelve. <laughs> It's better than nothing. They did. I mean, it's it's better than nothing. Uh, that's that's the main problem too. Is that even though they succeeded in stopping this one, Gamble's dead now. So there's no way that they don't have any conceivable way of being able to get the information for the other locations. Uh, and on the one hand, it's extremely satisfying to see Gamble finally, you know, suffer his own personal consequences yeah. for the decisions that he made, i.e. killing Nathaniel Sackett. <laughs> um, but it's it's still a huge detriment to their cause because they needed him alive for that info. Yeah. But it didn't look like he was going to be giving it anytime soon, no. and time was of the essence. So. He, he was an awful person. <laughs> <laughs> well, Yeah. Although, uh, one other thing we should probably talk about before uh, before we uh, wrap up the episode was uh, Townsend. Talking about those personal consequences, I was feeling a lot of suspense for Townsend in this episode um, because his, his business partner is constantly scrutinizing everything that he's doing, and his father seems to be taking a more relaxed sort of stance on their whole spy efforts, which... Seems counterintuitive. A proud stance. And, well, any, any time they're talking about getting together for the holidays, that someone's gonna die. Someone's gonna die. Yeah, it's, I don't like. Oh yeah, come home for the holidays. I'm proud of you. Everything's great. Our relationship's never been better. I'm just two days away from retirement. Yeah, it's yeah, hanging the two days it. away from retirement yeah. buttons. That's what it feels like. Everything's happy. It's great. Yeah, pretty much. I don't know. I uh, mean, um, is that a... I, yeah, I don't like it. But I, I love seeing Townsend work. I do worry that he was a little bit too obvious when he was bringing down the drinks to get the information. I quite agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was Just, like, terrified for him. wandering around the room like, I'm not being conspicuous. Don't worry about me. Well, <laughs> What's off, going on in this meeting? <laughs> playing off that relationship with John Andre, though. I mean, they've... they I forgot the name of the game. Drots. Drots. <laughs> they played Drots together. And that to the one point time. Where, and they, but they've still shared a rapport where they, he's seen his sketches. He knows that he's an that's artist. An excellent point. Yeah. He, they, there's, he, there's a level of up. trust there. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't... It was a matter of kind of just. This is the first time I feel like he's taking that step past just eavesdropping. He's he's like, okay, I'm gonna take action to try to gather intel. Whereas every other time he's just been, I'm, gonna, like, I'm just a I'm fly just on the wall. Yeah. yeah, I'm not doing. It's not. It's not, it's not on me. But I, I I think on the one hand, yes, but John Andre is also. I'm not one to count him out when it comes to being able to put two and two together. 
And sure. so seeing this very blatant, I'm just here, don't mind me, and then having information get compromised right afterwards, as soon as word gets back to him, he's going to know that there was a leak in that room. Hmm. So whether or not he'll... And he knows Townsend to be a cunning man. I, and that's why he has respect for him. Just because there is that mutual respect there doesn't... like it, It's kind of like what he said to Simcoe. Don't assume you're the only one who, who has the ability to put two and two together. So, you know, I... I worry about Townsend. That's that's the long and short of what I'm trying to say. Brilliant, well, a brilliant the... addition. Sorry to interrupt. It's okay. a brilliant addition to the show. Yeah. Like yes. That, you know that whole uh, Rivington coffee house. No, oh, it's, it's. I mean, those two guys are, are just the created two brilliant characters. Oh yeah. And and the great thing is, you know, you, you can't underestimate any of them, can you? You can't. You don't underestimate Andre. You don't underestimate. You worry for them, but you don't underestimate Townsend. Yeah. You don't underestimate Rimmick. It's just, you know, people taking risks all over the place. It's exciting. I, I feel. I don't necessarily think that there is a, a a a fear from Townsend because, like you said, he's like I'm keeping an eye on him as well on his business partner. It's it's and the way he acts, like he always oh, loves a good joke. I almost feel like he's curious. He's not threatening, he's curious. Where it's he's trying to find out information to kind of figure out where Townsend stands because to town to him Townsend's kind of an enigma. So it's more of a you know, curiosity and playfulness that I, I know you're something is askew Something's and I'm up. gonna find it out, but I'm not I'm not he's not doesn't seem concerned by it. He seems very, you know, jubilant in everything that he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a you know, actually that's a really good way of putting it. He he just seems very happy and I mean he is in the news industry. He's yeah. a journalist. He does want to get down to the to the interesting story of things. And when he sees a potentially interesting story in front of him, he wants to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. But you don't have to be malicious to compromise something as fragile as this ring. Yeah, absolutely. That's you just have to be in the right place at the right... I mean, it was compromised by a, what, three-year-old? Maybe? How old is Thomas in season one? Moving a floorboard. Yeah. That's also because Abe's an idiot, but... Abe is bad at this game, but that's okay. It keeps better. the show interesting. He is getting better. I did like this move at the end where it's just like, we can't take out Rogers. Let's send Simcoe after him. So it's just this wave of hell descending onto Oyster Bay. That's going to be fun and interesting. Well, I think that's a good segue. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about real quick about this episode before we move into predictions? Mm. Well, Chad is nothing but compliments and laughter. They are super thrilled that you're here. I'm super and thrilled to be here. And they think you're doing a great job. <laughs> it's a treat. Oh, yeah. we. Uh, I want to give a special shout-out to somebody in the hashtag. Uh, Lynn R. in the hashtag. Uh, she is also very, very happy that you're here. Has nothing but really good things to say. Thanks, uh, pati- Lynn. Particularly about the uh, the scene between uh, uh, Simcoe and Richard. Um, yeah, really good stuff. All right. Let's go ahead and move into predictions, then. Your After Buzz oh, TV one. predictions. Oh, I wanted the light show. <laughs> Me too. All right. So in this next episode, we have, strangely enough, Simcoe and Abe on the hunt for Robert Rogers. That's a team up I never really into. I mean, obviously, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Uh, but I I am interested to see how Simcoe kind of views Abe now, because it went from being romantic rival to just sort of, 
you know, Simcoe went on to bigger and better things. So I'm one, obviously, he's definitely one to hold a grudge, but I, I kind of also wonder if he's just prioritizing his, his vendetta list. <laughs> How far down on the vendetta list is Abe for Simcoe? You want me to answer? Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. <clears throat> I, I, I don't think, he doesn't, he's like a dog with a bone. <laughs> he doesn't let it go. Nope. You know, nope. and, um, you know, once you've crossed him, there's no forgiveness, you know. And that's really what, what drives, you know, the fury when he comes back is, okay, I've got I, something, something has happened as a result of definitely one of, if not all of you. Yeah. Um, and so th- that's why he's just on, on a rampage. You know, but you're right, he's, he's focused on... Um, He's focused on the immediate. Yeah, it is a prioritize. He even talks about Hewlett. He's like, I'll deal with that <laughs> later. It's right. <laughs> right now the priority is Rogers, who in his mind is Culper. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, their dynamic uh, in in the hunt for Robert Rogers. And Robert Rogers is on the hunt for uh, the woman that is the cause of John Andre's heartache. Distress. Yes, so whether or not that leads him to Peggy or actually leads him to Philomena, well, that'll be interesting to see whether or not he's able to kind of parse out who. I mean, because he, he met John Andre, and I think he he knew that he had a romance with somebody in Philadelphia, yeah. if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. I don't know. And, and now Philomena is wearing her hair uh, like Peggy. No, I <laughs> mean, See, it's going to be a case no, of mistaken no. identity. Well, think about it. <laughs> he's been seen with a woman who wears her hair in this very yeah. specific style. It's an upper-class, expensive style. They're not like going to look to the woman who is engaged to General Benedict Arnold. They're going to look to the woman who's still hanging out with him and is now wearing her hair like that. <laughs> it's, yeah. like a 17th it's creepy, century. but it's a plot point. It is. It's going to be like a 17th century Thomas Crown affair where they all wear the bowler hats, but it's going to be all this updo walking around John Andre's little bar. That's right. <laughs> but any... any immediate predictions for the next episode uh no not aside from <laughs> not aside yeah. from case of mistaken identity well i think yes. there's gonna be the fury at the you know you've got thanksgiving with the quakers throwing a thanksgiving which is yeah, surprising in itself well. and i'm gonna yeah. predict that they probably don't have another thanksgiving <laughs> after this one considering uh, you've got townsend uh you know town you've got the senior and then you've got Simcoe rolling up. You've got Abraham coming into town. It's like this is going to be a nice little You need a big turkey. Yeah, you need a big turkey because I feel like there's going to be a lot of carbon going on. And it's Ooh. yeah, it's gonna, I think it's going to be graphic. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I still think that this currency thing is going to be, is still going to be a very big deal. And I, I think that's going to be interesting. And it looks like we're hopping back to Philadelphia as well and seeing more of the push to really get Benedict Arnold officially on their side. Because mm. right now he's he's still... Waffling. He's still... Yeah, that's, that's a good word for it. <laughs> he's still there on, like, the fringe. He hasn't fully taken the plunge yet. So I think that'll be the big push for next episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that just about wraps it up for tonight. Samuel, thank you so, so much for, for coming yeah, on and joining us tonight. It was an absolute yeah. pleasure having you. Do you have any upcoming projects that you can talk about that uh, you'd like people to keep an eye out for? Yeah, I have a movie um, called Equity uh, with Anna Gunn uh, that's coming out in July, so very soon. Um, and, um, and I just filmed a, a season of Salem. On WGN. Oh, really? Nice. So um, 
Yeah, there you go. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> After Buzz TV exclusive. Yeah, there you go. Um, so that's TV yeah. exclusive. Yeah, well, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's coming up in uh, in Halloween. At Halloween. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, that's spooky. fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, where can people go if they want to keep up with you and all of your upcoming projects? Well, the one thing that I am um, I constantly update is Twitter. So you should just go to at Samuel Rukin on Twitter, and you can usually get me there. Fantastic. Keith, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? You can keep up with me all over the internet at Keith W. Black. And I'm Katie Collin. You can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at Kiaxet. That's K-I-A-X-E-T. I'm also on Snapchat at Kia Prime. Blindspot season finale tonight in an hour. Arrow season finale tomorrow night. It's it's a day, it's a week for season finales, you guys. <laughs> uh, it's that time of year. And yep. Red vs. Blue starts up on June 1st. Woo! I'm Megan. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at The Mangwin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I'm also on a bunch of shows here at AfterBuzz, and I write articles for The Movie Chick. That's Chick with two Ks. Be sure to check those out. Thank you again. Samuel. Thank it's my you. pleasure. Thank you to everybody in the Thanks hashtag. for having me. Thank, of course, anytime. Please come back again. Uh, thank you to everybody in the live chat and the hashtag. Thank you guys so, so much for watching. We will see you all next time. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.